another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is the Sue Storm to my Reed Richards, my friend Eddie. <laughs> hey, I'm doing great today, James B. How are you feeling? I was a little tired. I've got my second wind. I think I'm doing okay. Really, I was excited about sitting down and getting going on our second podcast because I was excited about talking about this amazing Spider-Man Issue one, finally, we're out of Amazing Fantasy. I felt like I've been reading that thing for a whole issue, and now he's on his own book. It's March, it's 1964. It's a nice, amazing Spider-Man book. I'm looking at the cover. I see the Fantastic Four. It talks about the chameleon. I think they've captured Spider-Man. I think they're going to fight him. Uh, there's two two great feature-length Spider-Man thrillers, and I'm really excited, Eddie, but I want to mention, at the end of our podcast today... We might have a little bit of a special treat because I noticed in our editing, we usually have a, we usually have some things we leave on the cutting room floor, but we pick them off the floor and we throw them back at the end of the podcast. So listeners, you stick with us that long, stick around past our closing music. But yeah. I don't want to talk about the close, Eddie. I want to talk about the beginning. I was hoping you could help me out. All right. All right. Well, here at the beginning, Spider-Man 1, it, it is a very dense book. It, there's a lot that happens. And we get a, a recap immediately of what happened in Amazing Fantasy Amazing Fantasy uh, 15. With We see Peter Parker throwing his costume onto the ground and really having a huge crisis because Uncle Ben has been killed. And there's a panel of the robber shooting Uncle Ben right in front of Aunt May. I, I cannot imagine the trauma that they're both going through at this time. And not only are they having a really traumatic experience in their life, but like there's this really brutal uh, landlord, of course, who shows up to ask for rent. And Aunt May's like, I, we can't pay the rent right now. Um, really bad times for poor Peter Parker and Aunt May, which which begs the question of what, what did Uncle Ben uncle ben do for his job and why is it you know such a sudden turn of uh, luck for the household james b do you have any uh, speculations on what uncle ben did for his work i have no idea what uncle ben did for his work i think he worked in a factory because he lives in new york don't people just work in factories and do factory <laughs> I, jobs i i peg him as a, a kindly bus driver as <laughs> uncle ben drive i mean i don't know if that's what he did, but I would be happy to be picked up <laughs> from a kindly Uncle Ben bus driver. We saw his smiling face so many times in the previous Amazing Fantasy 15. So perhaps driving around the city, Uncle Ben? Uh, well, anyways, moving on, Peter Parker realizes he's going to have to make some money here to help out Aunt May. And Aunt May, he's he is very dedicated to Aunt May. In fact, he considers being a criminal himself, but of course, this would this would break Aunt May's heart, and Peter Parker would never do anything to break Aunt May's heart. So he's like, back to back to performing. Uh, all the kids at school are like, let's go see Spider Man for a dollar, and he puts on a big show. And if they're paying, if each kid is paying a dollar, which I do think, even in today's money, is well worth to see the Amazing Spider Man, he should be making a bunch of money. But James B, tell me about what happens after the show. 
After the show, he goes and sees, I think the guy's name is Maxie, which is the agent from the Crusher Hogan Amazing Fantasy 15 issue. And uh, he says, hey, it's time to pay you, Spider-Man, but I can't give you cash. I've got to give you a check. So there's a record for taxes. What name should I write the check out to? Spider-Man's like, I can't tell you my name. No one must know my identity. He says, just make the check out to Spider-Man. He's like, okay, you're go- you're the boss. You're going to have a tough time cashing this. And Spider-Man's all confident, a tough time cashing it. We'll just see about that. Walks into the bank. He's like, I'd like to cash this check. What's the guy say, Eddie? Uh, well, I'm going to need a license. I'm going to need a, a social security number. Uh, oh, what about my costume? <laughs> yeah, nobody can have a costume like this. He sewed it all up himself. <laughs> but but no, sadly for Spider-Man, there's, there'll be no check cashing at the bank. And this is just one of so many troubles that Spider-Man is going to have. And then we see J. Jonah Jameson. And he's going to be the longtime foe of Spider-Man. No matter how many villains we throw at him, he's going to be the foil that's always getting in his way and always calling out to the to the public that Spider-Man is is a menace. Uh, why this is why Spider-Man can't unmask himself. This is why Spider-Man won't be able to get a job because if he can unmask himself as Peter Parker and be famous and get a job and get paid for it and everything, all these problems would go away. So to keep his problems going, uh, Stanley introduces J. Jonah Jameson and he makes J. Jonah Jameson constantly attack Spider-Man. And on page five, it gets ridiculous. Can you see all the things he says on just on page five alone, Eddie? There's all sorts of things that J. Jonah's, J. Jonah's name is. It's like a campaign to like, I, it's amazing how sinister it is overall because he's, he just, he's got this big problem with Spider-Man. So, I mean, if you, what I'm looking at is like Maxi hands on the paper and he says, look at this editorial. The paper is everyone so steamed up. They'll probably toss you in jail if you show your face. And then it shows J. Jonah Jameson. And he's like, we cannot allow that masked menace to take the law into his own hands. He's a bad influence on our youngsters. Next panel. Children may try to imitate his feats. What would happen if if they make a hero out of this lawless inhuman monster? We must not permit it. You know, next panel. I say Spider-Man must be outlawed. Next panel. The youth must learn to respect real heroes such as my son, John Jameson. Not selfish freaks like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a jerk. Spider-Man's a problem. And then Spider-Man's reply is like, I don't get it. How do other superhero guys like the Fantastic Four and the Ant-Man get away with them? Nobody bothers them, and they always seem to make enough dough. And then the guy says, I don't even believe there is a Spider-Man. It's just a publicity stunt. You know, they're really setting up a backstory, Eddie, of like, hey, this J. Jonah Jameson is going to ruin Spider-Man's opportunity to make a living. It's it's a great villain for Spider-Man set up here. And J. Jonah Jameson can always... I I like J. Jonah Jameson. He He can really insult Spider-Man and trash him and he can always bring it back to himself about how, you know, some aspect of him is so important and upstanding for the public, too. Did you ever notice that Peter Parker's always in the right place at the right time? He happens to see villains constantly. He happens to see people robbing banks. In this issue here, he sees Aunt May. He's like, hey, that looks like Aunt May. I mean, the dude's in New York City, right? And he happens to catch her right when she's pawning her jewelry to get some money. Not, not for nothing. You gotta feel bad for him that he happens to run into this one thing. And he gets really angry. He starts punching the wall, Eddie. He knows money is a big problem, but now he really knows money is a big problem in his household when Aunt May pawns her jewelry. So I think this issue is really, I think this issue is just really heavy-handed. Starting off with this, like, okay, you know, it, it takes two pages to recover to cover the the summary, but then all we've gotten so far is like. Hey, the kids think Peter Parker is a, is a bookworm. He can't go to the show. Hey, Spider-Man can't 
cash any checks because this, he's a public menace. Aunt May needs money so bad that we told you about a minute ago. We're going to make her pawn the jewelry right in front of you. It's like, bam, bam. Are you getting – do you – Dude, left cross, left cross, right hook, left cross. I mean, they're really trying to make sure you understand what's going on in the story. And then the story takes a break and goes to part two. Just in case you don't know what's going on here, they're watching a rocket take off because now we're going to have that hero, J. John, uh, J. John Jameson's son, John Jameson, to make sure you know he's a hero. First dude says, it must take a lot of courage to go up in one of those babies. And the second guy says, Eddie, I'll bet even Spider-Man would think twice before volunteering for this ride. Last dude on the street didn't even know Spider-Man was a publicity stunt. This dude's like chatting up Parker about him. Well, first of all, that first part, this sets up Spider-Man as being a very different character from a lot of superheroes that were around, you know, comics at the time too. It's clear that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are going to have troubles public enemies like J. Jonah Jameson, which I think is a narrative that we haven't seen so much in other comics. Uh, certainly like I think about like my mom reading comics at the time, because I used to read these comics that my mom and my uncles would buy and they liked Spider-Man because he was in trouble often, just like normal teenager trouble problems. So anyways, moving on to part two. Wait a second. You're talking about that Spider-Man was in trouble often or your uncle was in trouble often? <laughs> no, I, just want, I, I just want everyone to be clear here. Who, who gets in trouble often? <laughs> I will say Spider-Man is in trouble often for one reason or another. I cannot, I cannot say yes or no that my uncle was ever in trouble, let alone often. <laughs> All right. Because if he's sitting around reading comic books, that could be a bad influence. And I just want to know. He could be jumping off things like Spider-Man, right? I have to ask him if he ever tried to jump off something like Spider-Man. Or... Yeah. You know, if he wants to be – your uncle was not so courageous enough to go up in a rocket ship. He's no John Jameson. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so yeah, they're watching the rocket go up here, John Jameson, and they have a big problem. As he's descending back down in uh, the capsule, this capsule seems to descend for a really long time, James B. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen before the capsule is going to hit the Earth. I, I think – have I already mentioned what my what my problem is with this issue? Do you remember my, my terminology? Because we're going to be very heavy-handed again. The first panel says, a small section of the forward guidance package breaks loose. The second panel says, without this essential guidance unit, the capsule goes into erratic orbit, completely out of control. And John says, something's wrong. I can't control her. The third panel says, this flashing red light, it can only mean one thing. I've lost, wait for it, the heart of the guidance device. There is no way to direct the capsule now. What do you think they say in the fourth panel, Eddie? In the fourth panel? It says, Caption, oh. capsule is out of control. Component 24-3B has broken loose. Condition red. I, I, I'm sorry. I was thinking about how, how are you controlling a capsule on the way down from, to Earth anyways, right? There's no I, rockets on the thing. <laughs> I, I just, I'm picturing this Saturday Night Live skit here, dude. The fifth panel says, oh. what's that? Without the missing part, he will continue to go into lower and lower orbit until he crashes to the Earth. It's like over and over and over, you know, they're telling you. And they, they do throw up a net. They have this like steel netting. They're like a steel net can capture a, uh, it'll just drop it right in front of this capsule, but doesn't work. So I guess, guess that's the end of, you know, John Jameson, right, Eddie? Yeah, comic is over. But I love this part because they go, they go to the general who's in charge, right? He just happens to have the very piece that Spider-Man needs to save the capsule from crashing into the Earth. 
And then, as stated before, the, the capsule's falling down. Spider-Man's got time to go on to, like, an army base, web a soldier, not not only commandeer a jet fighter plane, but commandeer the pilot that can fi- fly the jet fighter plane, too. <laughs> and there's this great, on page 10, James B., there's this great uh, drawing of Spider-Man standing on top of the jet fighter, going right towards the capsule. I just really like this panel. It's, what a notion to think of, like, Spider-Man on top of a jet fighter. Yeah, he, he looks like reason. he looks like uh, Evil Knievel. Is that too dated? Uh, standing on top of this uh, plane here. But I'm I'm telling you, last I saw, a steel net couldn't stop this thing. I, I, you know, and this it looks like they're on an interception course too. They're like, we're going to swing by and catch this. But Spider Man, he has something better than a steel net. He has a sophomore high school student's web. That's right, a web created by a sophomore high school student. He can shoot it and catch a rocket ship. It will stick on it, and he can hang on and climb the web to the rocket ship, right? It just shows Peter Parker. He's a smart guy. He could make some. He could make some serious web, <laughs> web that the entire U.S. military cannot do with their, you know, space budget or whatever is going on here. Yeah, any we, better with. <laughs> we talked about not making fun of this, but boy, this is this is a tough one. This is. <laughs> This is a tough one. You know, he's able to save the day. No one else could do it because the army general who's talking to J. Jonah Jameson about his son's death said, very well, we have nothing to lose. There's no way we can do it. So the primary might as well take a chance. The fact that he had to, uh, like you said, web up a soldier and then commandeer a plane and a pilot to save J. Jonah son, uh, Jameson's son there. It was all worth the risk. Everything works out fine in the end. Of course, J. Jonah Jameson, super forgiving and really thankful. Right, Eddie? Like always, right? <laughs> My boy, he's safe. <laughs> he's safe. So then this newspaper demands that Spider-Man be arrestacu- arrested and prosecuted. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy that J. Jonah Jameson is. And then, wanted, Spider-Man. Reward for his capture. <laughs> Saved your firstborn son, J. Jonah Jameson. Did you forget? Nobody uh, else could get to the capsule. <laughs> but if you find him, by the way, uh, you're supposed to report him to the nearest FBI office. So uh, that's great. That was the first half of this issue. This is actually a two-parter, Eddie. But before we do the second part, um, I think we need a sponsor break. All right. I'm ready for a sponsor. All right. We'll be back right after this exciting sponsor. I can't wait to, to hear about it. And our sponsor today is actually uh, the Daily Bugle. Uh, Eddie, the Daily Bugle provides breaking news with timely updates, investigative reports, comprehensive sports and politics. It has lifestyle and entertainment news. If you want to know what's up with Crusher Hogan, check out the Daily Bugle. Is Spider-Man a menace? Not sure? Check out the Daily Bugle. Eddie, have you ever uh, had an opportunity to read the Daily Bugle at all? You know, I, I have not, but I will certainly pick up a copy when I have a chance. I think that would be a great idea there. Uh, it's it's where I get most of my news. Um, although it is a little, um, I want to let you know, it's not as fair and biased as you might think. It's sort of, uh, but other than that, it's a, it's it's great. It's available. Um, it's available all the time, everywhere. Uh, that, fun, everything. That, those editorials can be very powerful, very strongly worded at times. Speaking of powerful. Here I am. I'm, I'm laughing at our sponsor again. They're never going to sponsor us again. And we're back. That was that was uh, that was great. Thank you for helping me out with that sponsor, Eddie. I I, I know I'm always so helpful during sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you are helpful when uh, when it comes to these Spider-Man books because there's so much going on that I do I do need someone to talk to about it. And and boy, the Chameleon, you like the offbeat uh, villains, and I actually like the Chameleon. I think the Chameleon's a, a, a I think he's a really good villain. 
I find them to be remarkably brilliant in several different ways. It's incredible how much is covered in this issue. There's just, it's just very dense. Like, there's a lot that happens, even before the chameleon. And then I got to the chameleon, and I'm like, wow, there's like a whole bunch of stuff to go. We haven't even seen the Fantastic Four through the first part of this issue. And now we're going to have the chameleon and the Fantastic Four crowding up the end here. This is a. It's interesting to see having having read the Fantastic Four last year. It's interesting to see a different artist draw it, which is uh, Steve Ditko. And I don't know if you can tell or not, Eddie. From and I know we've you've read a couple of these issues as we're preparing for this, but I don't know if you can tell the lettering. The lettering's by John Duffy, completely different guy. That it's not Artie Semek or uh, Sam Rosen, who the two letters for all the other issues that you and I are going to be covering. But in this issue here, uh, yeah, we're gonna we get a lot of Fantastic Four right away. They, they try to capture Spider-Man. It's a it's a wild kind of ordeal where, I mean, I like it because, like, we can see how Spider-Man kind of measures up to the Fantastic Four in a, in a couple of different ways. And it's, it's interesting to see them interact, I guess, overall. Since we know Spider-Man needs some help advertising by bringing the Fantastic Four in into his comic. Yeah, and for the listening audience who might not know this issue, uh, Spider-Man decides to show up at the Fantastic Four. He wants to get a job. He's like, hey, I'll just show up there. He kind of breaks in, runs around the place. They try to capture him. One of my favorite moments is uh, that uh, they capture him with this big glass uh, cage dome that drops in on him, and he's trying to break his way out of it. Mr. Fantastic says, that device costs thousands if you wreck it. You know, hey, don't put your villains and bad guys and people you're capturing in devices that cost you a lot of money. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. He tries to capture him. Spider-Man's dumping all around fighting against everybody. He does a pretty good job taking on all four of them. Um, and then uh, he basically stops and says, ho, 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 I uh, I want to join up with you. Are they excited to have him on board, Eddie? They're like, hey, man, this is a non-profit. <laughs> You're not going to make any money with the, the uh, Fantastic Four. <laughs> I really like that. We pay no salaries. Uh, which makes me be like, I guess Mr. Fantastic is fantastic with money also. So, sorry, Spider-Man. You're going to have to be more you're going to be, have to be a better superhero with your money, too. <laughs> Eddie, the Human Torch is going to be a reoccurring uh, character through uh, Spider-Man's books. I just want to let you know, the first three things the Human Torch and, the Sp- and Spider-Man ever exchanged, the first three lines are, um, he must be some kind of nut to think he can take us by surprise. Then when he faces Spider-Man for the first time, he says, that's it, you animated insect. Fun's over. I'll settle you now. Flame on. Great line. And then he tells him, hey, stay still, darn it. And then technically his third line to him is, you came to the wrong place, pal. This isn't General Motors. So General the, Motors. Yeah. Gainful, gainful employment at General Motors. Yeah. Let me let me update to 2021. Spider-Man shows up, up and says, I figure I'm worth uh, your best salary. And he's like, dude, this isn't Google. <laughs> What he Thank tells you, James, me for updating. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got that one for you. And Spider-Man, of course, you know, uh, in 1963-ish or 64, depending on this issue, you know, comes out and he says, okay, fine, I don't need you guys. I'll make you guys look like pikers. You know, everybody's sort of like annoyed at him and don't doesn't worry about him. Of course, uh, there's always a theme of, of girls being a little lighter on him in, in times. In this case, it's um, Sue Richards who... Her whole theme is always like, oh, that villain's not so bad. Oh, that villain's kind of cute. Oh, I feel bad for that villain. She does that for, for a long time before 
the author, Stanley and Steve, uh, sorry, that would be Jack Kirby, who co-wrote it, they decide to make her a little tougher. But for a while, she's really a subdued kind of, you know, very uh, 1960s woman. And then they, they, they give her more attitude, kind of make her almost the most powerful member of the team eventually. But back here, not so much. So, Eddie, there's a, there's a guy named the Chameleon who shows up in the magazine um, at this time. Uh, what do you think? Uh, he's he's so clever. Besides the fact that his disti- his disguises are incredible, not only you know drawn to make him look very realistic, but he is fooling from the very get go. He's he's dressing up as a scientist, uh, the identity of Professor Newton here, and it's such a good costume that like other I assume to be quite brilliant scientists, they. They don't notice a difference between him, the chameleon, and Professor Newton. So his ability to disguise himself is amazing. But then he he's like Spider has the powers of has the powers and instincts of a spider. So I will send him a message that only his spider sense will be able to pick up. Uh, He sends out this message calling Spider-Man, meet me on the roof of Lark Buildings uh, at ten tonight. I mean, what? how does he understand like how to do this so well i i don't know i i think the chameleon so in this comic he strikes me as being very intelligent overall in several regards even though he doesn't seem to have any superpowers other than extreme intelligence that's for sure what about you james b what do you think of the chameleon i also noticed in his in his message Ed, he says it will be very profitable for you so he's already deduced like oh Spider-Man is isn't in Fantastic Four because he's desperate for money. So I will let him know that I have an opportunity for him to make money. So in addition to being able to send spider signal waves, which is you know a little ridiculous, um, he also can be very specific to what Spider-Man needs. And Spider-Man, his only con- he doesn't come back and say, "Hey, I'm looking for the money." He just says like. You know, well, no matter who it is, I can't afford the chance to pass up this profit, so I'll just sneak over and see what's going on, just in case, you know. So, uh, yeah, it works. Uh, Chameleon, uh, brilliant and very dangerous, very dangerous foe. It is remarkable, like I said, how how brilliant he is, and I don't know what he could do. What he could do with Spider-Man, sending, being able to send messages from him. I mean, Spider-Man picks it up, so it worked very well. Let, let, he, he fell for the plan. Yeah, let me jump in here, though, um, because we're giving the chameleon a ton of props. But honestly, there are, there is some flaw to this guy's plan. First thing is, here's a guy who can be anyone he wants to be. He can sew any costume. He's making clothing to looks like other people. He sews an entire Spider-Man suit so he can go rob... Um, who, who's he robbing? He robs something and blames uh, Spider-Man for it. I'm not sure who's even robbing in this issue. Uh, oh, secret plans. He's going to steal some secret plans, and then he's going to try to escape with them and blame it all on Spider-Man. If he doesn't blame it on Spider-Man, maybe Spider-Man doesn't show up to try to figure out who frames him. Why go through all this trouble to say Spider-Man did it? Why not just be some other rando? You know what I'm saying? Or am I, you disagree with me. What do you think? I, I guess you're right. I guess we, if we think about like, the chameleon has a lot of options besides the the path that he chooses here, and you know he ro- he he decides to to get the plants. I think there's more of a backstory. I guess I don't know very much about the chameleon. You may have to help me, James B. Just in case you know, because Spider Man he he has to like <laughs> there's like a Russian sub and like a helicopter with a chameleon in it, and 
perhaps the chameleon has more motivation than than to just sell the plans to or give them to the Russian sub for a bunch of money. I don't know. I, I, I'll have to agree with you, James B. It's a bizarre. It's kind of a bizarre turn for someone of his brilliance overall. I think he blew an opportunity to just make his own costume. He could have dressed up like anyone he wanted that wasn't Spider-Man, and maybe Spider-Man wouldn't have gotten involved in it. He seems like he could. Seems like the only thing that took him down was that he got Spider-Man involved in his mess. So, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I I do always like the uh, dated expressions <laughs> that we bump into Spider-Man, and there, there there's quite a you know quite a few references to the bookworm, the public the public seeking phony, a teenage cornball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like all these things that you know that I'm like oh you know things that I didn't use or I would occasionally hear like my mother's generation use and be like what what is that supposed to mean so uh, any one of those dated references uh, that that we have are things that I appreciate uh, any uh, anything for you James B no. <laughs> got nothing I only want to say one last thing too I love this part where Spider Man. He not only does he like fling himself really far, you know, over many, many buildings, but then he fabricates a parachute out of his web while he's still in the air. <laughs> this is not a pre planned parachute, as far as I can figure out. He's like, <laughs> you know, and then I, he's got his parachute. I think I might have seen that, like, like, like sometimes and they'll have a they'll, they'll have a comic, they'll say, like, you know, first appearance of, like I told you, this is definitely the first J. Jonah Jameson. I think I've seen that the first Spider-Man parachute is a thing. I think he makes that enough that I wouldn't be surprised if I looked up this issue and I first Spider-Man parachute, you could Google that. I bet you it would show up. I really do. I don't think that's like uncommon for him to make a parachute. I mean, he makes lots of things out of webs, Eddie. You're going to have a good time if you oh, like I, that. I but, do enjoy some things out of webs, like but, <laughs> parachute for sure. Parachute is a, very, is a very popular one, a very popular one indeed. Do you ever think Peter Parker lives in a house, or do you think he lives in an apartment? Like your quick, quick reaction, not go house or apartment. What do you think? Too slow. Apartment. Well, yeah, because because he has to pay rent. I always thought he lived in a right. house. He's got. I always say I live. I'm like he goes up and downstairs. I figured it was a house, but apparently not. Apparently his his apartment has two floors to it. You know what I'm saying? It throws me off. <laughs> I, I guess I hadn't thought about it too much up until now. <laughs> James B. So I just want to wrap this up here with the last page that, you know, the, the chameleon g- goes through all the trouble and Spider-Man gets involved and he's, he does a nice job of constantly escaping and changing costumes and everything. And uh, he dresses up like a policeman and all this stuff. But the very end, he's really upset. He, he runs away, this Spider-Man. And like, you know, the last panels, he, he says, and it says, <clears throat> as the chameleon is led away, a lone figure loses himself in the shadows of the silent night. Nothing turns out right. This is Spider-Man talking. He, he's crying. He says, I wish I had never gotten my superpowers. Like, he's so upset that the chameleon impersonated him. Like, it really makes him mad that the cops think he's a criminal, and when he's not a criminal, and things get in trouble. And, and you know, he's, like, annoyed. Like, you can capture Spy on your own. Like, I'm, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And then the Fantastic Four are reading a – they're reading an editorial about him. You know, it, and Sue Storm says, like, Reed, he's so powerful and so confused. What if he ever turns his superpowers against the law? Which was referenced, we didn't talk about, it was referenced right away that he could steal money if he wanted to. They're thinking, I wonder what we could do about him. And there's just there's just a lot there in that last bit that doesn't even, we don't even think of it when you read this issue, that Spider-Man's crying and the Fantastic Four is thinking, what if he becomes a villain? To sneak that in there, the, either of those two things could have taken 
10 pages and been like the whole issue. Spider-Man gets upset or Spider-Man could become a villain. And they slipped this in at the end. And, and it's just so much, so much content in this issue, Eddie. It's, it's a very dense issue. And I, I think Spider-Man sobbing is so revealing of the fact that he's a very young man. And like, they, he's not in total control of his emotions and all sorts of stuff that's going on. So it's understandable that he would be distraught over all the things that he's experienced in a very short amount of time too. And then, like you said, the, the fantastic four there, Reed Richards scratching his, scratching his chin, thinking about uh, Spider-Man not being a good guy. It's pretty intense. I think it's time for us to wrap this up so we don't run this podcast too long because I want people to listen to our next one and not get stuck on this one forever. What do you think? Is like a plan? Sounds great. All right. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you try to close this one since uh, you always think it's so easy? <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. Don't don't let your nephew see you try to see you pawning your jewelry off for rent. <laughs> Until next time. This is James B. This is Eddie. And you're listening to Let's Read Spider-Man. Again, we keep coming up with different things. That's my closing. You don't have to come up with anything. That's just my advice to everyone. Was, just remember, a steel net won't stop a rocket ship, but but a sophomore kid's spider web would. Eddie, you still there? Yes. Oh, yes, I'm here. Hmm. I was thinking we could have people join us on this podcast. That would be a great idea. Hey, if you want to jump in and do a podcast with us, you can send us an email at let's read spider-man at gmail.com and tell us that you want to join us for a podcast and can't be any worse than eddie <laughs> hey sometimes sometimes i have trouble filing the show notes i don't know what you're talking about james <laughs> email us people <laughs>